Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. As a child, I went to seven different schools despite never changing my address. I moved around from school to school for various reasons, was hardly kicked out of any of them, but not none of them. That's probably the origin story of my extroversion is all of that sort of changing of schools over and over again. But as that happened, one of the things that stayed recursive is I had a couple of friends, two in particular, that no matter which school I went to, those were sort of my really good friends. Those are the people that I was really connected to. And even when I left school and went to another one, I stayed friends with these people. But then something weird happened. I, I stopped. Like, I didn't, didn't talk to those friends anymore. My, my best friend in junior high school... Uh, didn't talk to after high school ever again. My best friend from high school, I haven't spoken to in 20 years. For some reason, they all just sort of faded away. I imagine you have stories somewhat similar to that. Seems the farther I get from childhood, the less of the people from my childhood that I know or keep in contact with in meaningful ways. But why is it that we have close friends, best friends, BFFs, when we're kids, but as we grow older, those relationships seem to fade away. And I don't just mean those relationships to our high school friends, to our friends from when we were young, but we don't have those same sort of thick friendships. It's a real problem in our culture. If you were to Google the struggle of friendship, the page returns on that are huge. In fact, I read an article just this week by a woman who is a reporter for NBC News. Her name is, is Jan, uh, Jen Glantz. And she wrote an article about the difficulty of finding and keeping friends. And her story is actually pretty common. After college, she moved to a new town where she was starting this job that she was really excited about. And at first, it was kind of easy. She had an alumni group in the city that she was able to connect with and kind of made some friends there. She had work friends, work proximity associates, you know, they were kind of friends. But then even those who, when she moved to town, she was close with, some of them got married and started having kids. Some of them were transferred to other places. And pretty soon, six or seven years after college, she found herself without any friends in the town she lived in. So what she ended up doing was hiring a friends coach, hiring a coach to help her make friends. I want that idea to sink in just for a second because the problem with that is, is not with her hiring this coach. The question that, that, that should make us think is what is our culture like? that that job exists? What is it in all of us that makes friendship so difficult? How and why have we disconnected to the point that this is something that we need? The problem, problem isn't an individual one. This is a systematic problem. I mean, some of us have so many hundreds of friends online and, and tons of online followers but for a large number of us, 
we still have a profound sense of loneliness, no matter what those numbers are. And the reason for this nagging sense of loneliness is that we were created for real and embodied friendships. As nice as the internet is for keeping in touch with friends from all over the world, and it's great for that, it can't be a replacement for real friends that can be to your house in 20 minutes when something goes sideways. Technology can't bridge the gap that is needed in a time of a hug. Friendship isn't just a nice add-on to our lives. Friendship is more than that. And for those of us who are Christians, friendship is an essential expression of the gospel. To be a Christian means we should be cultivating deep, meaningful, and spiritual friendships with others. As Solomon writes the book of Proverbs, he mentions often the topic of friendship. And so like last week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a selection of Proverbs Uh, And then we're going to talk about the way that Solomon puts these together throughout the book. And so if you would, please stand with me as I read this morning. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. One who has an unreliable friend soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. City Church is the word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. These first few Proverbs that I read really draw out the beauty of friendship. It's like a balm or a perfume, something that soothes our pain and brings joy to our lives. And those of us who have good friends know what that feels like. And even those of us who find ourselves feeling isolated and lonely long for this sort of comfort. Friendship is beautiful, but it has to be cultivated You have to work on it. One of my favorite quotes that I have no idea where I got it from, have no idea the origin of it, but it has stuck with me for a long time is this. You can't find community. You can only create it. You can't find community. You can only create it. Because even if you walk into a place, even if you walk into a group where there is already a real and and a rich sense of community, in order for you to be a part of that, you have to do work. Anybody who's sort of started a new job, even if it's a job that you love, even if it's at a company that you love, it takes work to become a part of that culture. The same is true of communities and friendship. It takes our work to do that. 
And not only does he say that friendships are beautiful, but he says that the beauty of friendship comes from the earnest counsel. The depth of our friendships will be determined by the degree to which we let our walls down with others. Of course, this doesn't mean as soon as we meet somebody that we sort of offload all of our stuff onto them. That would be strange, and you would probably find yourself struggling to make any more friends after that. However, it does mean that as we grow in friendships, a necessary thing that happens is that we begin to let our walls down. We begin to open up to others. To put this another way, a a true friend is the friend who has seen you cry. And that goes for all of us. Some of the people that I hold most dear in my life are the people that I have been with in tears and in weeping. People who trusted me when they were a puddle or who I trusted when I was the same. And Solomon says that this is true. He, he says that, that calamity is not a time to go to your brother's house. That's the time to go to the friend. That's the time that you need a friend that is more than just somebody who has the same blood here as you. Practically, here's what I mean by all of this. It is not enough as a Christian to have a constellation of acquaintances. We need real, deep, enduring friendships, which means we have to put in hard work to cultivate them. That means we have to do hard things like sticking around in a friendship when it is difficult, fighting through it, not writing people off, not disposing of friends like they're single-use plastics. We need to be willing to forgive the shortcomings in order to grow together. But more than that, we need friends who tell us the truth. When we are wrong, they tell us so. And we don't just duck out of those friendships when people tell us something like that. We don't just cut ties and go, you know what? You're not for me anymore. This is not it. No, it's precisely then that we need friendship. It's precisely then that friendship can become truly Christian and truly beautiful. The proverb that we read that says iron sharpens iron has been used and overused. If you've been around the church I would place a fair wager that either the men's ministry at one church you've been at was probably called something like Iron Sharpens Iron or ISI. There's even a chain of gym, of, of Christian gyms in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Guess what their name is? You know. It's Iron Sharpens Iron. It is it's pretty overdone. And yet, there's something there. Whenever anyone asks me, oh, how, how do I become a better cook? What, what's the one thing that I would buy, that you would have me buy? You know, what's, what, what's the best tool in your kitchen? The answer that I would say every single time is get a really good knife and learn how to use it. Everything else you can kind of figure out along the way, but if you get a really good knife and you learn how to use it, you'll be a better cook. But then there's a caveat to that, which is you have to keep your knives sharp. One of the ways you do that is, is you, you hone your knives. 
Now, if you maybe uh, have gotten married in the past 20 years or so, and you went to Bed Bath & Beyond and registered for the knife block that comes with all of the knives that you need, there's also this strange thing that looks like a small sword that's blunt stuck in your knife block kind of has a handle and then it's just kind of a metal rod. And most people use that to like break ice when you need it, pound out chicken. I don't know. (laughs) This is the worst knife ever. It doesn't cut well at all. That honing rod is made to be used to make sure that your knife stays straight in its edge. And you can use that honing knife over and over again, that, that honing rod, to keep your knives straight. Probably ought to do that once a week. That's free. That's not part of the sermon. That's just good advice on your knife keeping. But that's not enough. You also have to sharpen your knives because no matter how straight you keep the edge with your honing rod, knives over time dull and they need to be sharpened. So you need either a whetstone or some other kind of knife sharpener. If you do that, you will have good knives. I speak not of knives, I speak of friendship. That is exactly what friendship should be doing in our lives. There are times where it's honing us, just kind of bumping us in the right direction, knocking off a little here, a little there. But there are other times when friendship should be sharpening us, when friendship should really be taking parts away, taking parts out of our lives as we correct one another. As we talk to one another about what we see in each other's lives, there is real change that happens to us. If you aren't letting your friends call you out, tell you when you're wrong, allow you to, to, if you're not letting them say that to you, no matter how much time you spend together, those aren't true deep friendships. Those are super acquaintances. Real friendship allows for that give and take, that iron sharpening iron. Beloved, we have to cultivate that. We don't just run into that or bump into that. We have to listen to others. It's the nature of true friendship. But not all friendship affects us in this way. Not all friendship affects us in a positive way. As beautiful and constructive as friendship can be, It can be destructive as well. I read several Psalms that Solomon wrote that say a worthless friend can set us on fire. We can have friends that, that rile us up and separate us from others. Intimate friendship can hurt as much as it does help if we aren't careful. You know, the proverb, uh, you, the English proverb, this one's actually not in the Bible. You're known by the company you keep. Seems like it should be in the Bible, but I think it's Shakespeare. But it's more than that. It's not just you're known by the company you keep. Something more is going on because we are genuinely and really shaped by the company you keep. The people who we have intimate friendships with will shape us. They might shape us to have an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus or They could draw you into unnecessary conflict and division. We have to be thoughtful in our friends. It says in Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. There's been a trend on social media in the past few weeks that's 
if I'm being really honest, kind of has annoyed me, um, which is uh, especially Twitter. Uh, people are posting takes and then following that post up with a series of red flag emojis. At first, it was kind of funny. And then it just became kind of everybody yelling at everybody else because they don't like your red flags and your red flag is a red flag to me. And it just, it did the internet thing. However, we should be looking for those things in our friendship. Is your friends and are your friends pushing you towards Christ? Are they isolating you from the people that are pushing you towards Christ? Are your friends teaching you unity or are they sowing disunity? Are they a balm for your soul or are they something that embitters you? It's difficult because growing friendships should lead us to flourishing and not just us individually, but it has an effect on things more than just us, beyond just us. Proverbs says, by, a, by the blessing of an upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Any community is a collection of friendships. And the strength of a community is based on the collective strength of those bonds. Church, if this is how we are going to grow together with biblical and beautiful friendships, it will change all of us together. And so we see on the one hand, friendships can be beautiful. On the other hand, they can be destructive, but more than both of those, they point us to something greater. Whether you come in this morning with rich friendships and you hear this and people pop into your mind that you are so grateful for, or you come in this morning feeling lonely and disconnected, both of those are a sign that points us to something more. Friends can bring us joy or lead us to ruin, but the ache of friendship that we feel is rooted in the fact that we were created to be friends with God, to be friends with Jesus. When Solomon says that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, he is pointing us to Jesus. And if you're anything like me, that kind of phraseology that I'm a friend of Jesus sounds a little cliche. Sounds a little kind of 70s, like bad, happy, clappy Christianity. You know, Jesus is a friend of mine. And yet it is truly the language that is used by the Bible. It's really interesting. One of my, my favorite stories about Jesus connects these two things together. It connects the fact that Jesus is our friend with the wisdom of Proverbs. Because the other problem, besides sort of the problem of the cliche of Jesus is our friend, is the fact that if we're honest, we kind of wonder, why would Jesus want to be my friend? I've been the bad friend who sows strife more often than I care to admit. I have not loved others well and been the friend I should be. Why would Jesus want to be a friend with me? It's interesting. Jesus was talking about him and John the Baptist. And some of John the Baptist's disciples came and were asking questions about Jesus and relaying messages from John. And they began to talk together. 
John was very serious. John kept Nazarite vows, which means he only ate certain foods and he never drank alcohol and he only wore clothes that were made out of certain things. And in the case of John, he wore camel hair, which is not comfortable, uh, clothes, and he ate locust and honey, one of which is good, uh, the other of which even honey can't cover the flavor of, right? So he lives this incredibly aesthetic life. Ascetic life, not aesthetic, sorry. So close, almost there, almost nailed it. No, but listen to this story. This is from Matthew 11. When he's comparing himself and John and the way that people received him, Jesus said, for John came neither eating nor drinking. And they said, look, he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus ties this idea of friendship to sinners to wisdom. Jesus is truly our friend. He is truly a friend to sinners like you and like me. And our friendship the friendship that he shows us is a model for how we treat one another. The fact that Jesus' friendship is not one that counts wrong. It's not one that holds grudges. It's not one that keeps score. It's one that loves over and over again. It's one that returns over and over again. As we grow in our friendship and our relationship with Jesus, it will grow the way that we're able to be friends and connected to one another. It will transform the friendships that we have and the ones that we don't have yet. Jesus, friend of sinners, make us the sort of friends who love and tell the truth like you. Let's pray.